0: Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money. I'm Satya suntanam from Mint's Personal Finance Team. In this new episode, I want to give you information about the investment industry that is scattering to the high net worth individuals in India. First, we have PMS, Portfolio Management Services and this, customized services is offered to high net worth individual clients. The investments are tailored as per the investor's return requirements. So, any stock that is purchased or sold will be directly reflected in the investor's demand account. This industry is regulated by SEBI and requires a minimum investment of 50 lakh rupees. Next, we have AIF, Alternative Investment Fund. AIF is a pooled investment vehicle. So, just like mutual fund, it pulls money from various individuals and invests that amount as per the mandate. This also comes under the purview of the regulator SEBI, but with a minimum investment amount of 1 crore rupees. AIF comes in three different categories. Remember as I define them because we might use these terms again and again in the podcast. Category 1 funds invest in startups or early stage ventures. This is like investing in startups in a regulated environment. Now, before talking about category 2, let's see what category 3 funds are. These funds invest in the listed equity space but may use derivatives to hedge the portfolios. They are called long short funds. These funds are also permitted to take borrowing to invest. This is about Cat 3. If there is a fund that can't fit category 1 or 3, it will automatically fall under Category 2, which is the most growing space in the Indian investment industry. To tell more about this investing space, we have with us Manush Randev, Founder and CEO of Servin Family Office. Let's invite him.
1: Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money? A personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey.
0: Just wanted to understand your views on uh, growth in the AIF industry in the last few years. Uh, it mm-hmm. has grown uh, at an exponential rate when it compared to the uh, MF industry as well. Um right. Yeah, and uh, let's dive into the conversation uh, after that. This is my first point.
1: See, uh, so AIF uh, got uh, clubbed in as far as regulations are concerned because for most part of uh, you know the late nineties and early 2000s, the venture capital industry was you know using that ECF route. Which was a very loosely structured regulation for uh, all which uh, one, venture fund, venture fund, which, venture which capital yeah, fund, yeah. VCF, VCF, VCF. Because too. there was uh, no, yeah, uh, no,
0: there was no AIF. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So we were using that, and it was a very loosely structured kind of process. You know, there was not much of regulation, not much of benchmarking, transparency, and you know those kind of stuff. So I yeah. think in 12, 13 this came in, and the AIF industry started and it started off to basically allow certain set of investors to allocate money to alternates which are much complex, right. uh, higher in risk and may require a bit of understanding but that needed to be regulated in case India wanted to you know, allow that uh, to be invested into by Indian investors because there was no regulation till that point of time. Right. So I think that AI, now that was the intent yeah. and obviously you've seen the industry grow, I don't know, I've lost count, I think it's what 5 lakh, 6 lakh crores now.
0: Yeah, so yes. Yeah, six, six to seven lakh. Six lakh, lakh, lakh uh,
1: Correct. crores is the industry, yeah. and and it was inherently that there was a lot of uh, opportunity available in the investment portfolios because they didn't have any exposure to the alternate space at all, and yeah. uh, I'm including uh, you know obviously unlisted equity, credit, uh, real estate to that extent as well. So many investors didn't have didn't find much many opportunities available and this provided a much more regulated entity. So naturally, you know, even small part of the portfolio start moving towards the alternate space. Yeah. You, know, you you start getting volumes of money and I think 5-6 lakh crores is not that much compared to what the size of the Indian economy and the size of the Indian savings and the wealth in the, in the large family businesses have. It's a small part of it. Absolutely. It's not a very large uh, part. Yeah. Uh, mutual funds, on the other hand, had a slow growth and then it started off because it was considered to be a retail product. Right. So as in retail product, obviously it starts growing slower, uh, slower and then started picking up and obviously it directly corresponds to the equity markets. So when equity markets do well, more people come in and you know, every bout of bullishness will allow more people to start investing in mutual funds. Whereas the alternate space was more of an allocation thing that, okay, I've got mutual funds and equity and everything. Now, is there any other asset class? So, I think that was a natural uh, jump, which was expected to happen in the alternate space. Also, uh, if if my memory serves me right, I think 80, seventy or eighty percent of the alternate space is not the venture capital unlisted space. People assume AIFs is all is all venture capital. Right, Actually, it right. is not. Yeah. Because uh, you know the breakup, you know the credit funds and real estate. Yes, they are the largest entity. Yeah. so I think that is uh, something which people have to also separately look at where does the actual growth has come in. So I think first of all, I think which I always share with a lot of people, AIF ka a was meant to be alternative. Now the issue yeah. is we also have got long only equity funds, which you know is obviously in a category of um, yeah. yeah, but it is still. why? Why do you need yeah. long-only funds when well, there is no alternative about it frankly speaking. Yeah. Right. But I think that was a misuse of this platform because people wanted to just launch a new product with a new packaging and make some extra money beyond PMS sales and MF sales. That is one. Yeah. And Secondly, as we
0: discussed uh, yeah. Munish, I think it's also very tax inefficient, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're taxed at the as a business taxation. There is no long-term, short-term capital yeah. and it's taxed at the entity level. Yeah. Not at your, in your hands. So mm-hmm. it's very, yeah. very inefficient. Yeah. And Uh, And the corollary to that is people will always tell you pre-tax returns and even that gross. Once you post-tax it, even if you have an outperformance in any of those areas, actually the outperformance is nothing or zero or negative once you do a post-tax kind of a comparison. So that is one. Secondly, I think on the uh, the reason credit and all had massive flows was because a lot of these overseas investors were also large investors. You know, for example, you look at these distressed asset funds which were, you know, raising like thousands and thousands of crores then you have structured debt funds and other kind of credit uh, performing credit funds as well also started coming in so I think the credit space also had a lot of entry of large institutional money in that particular space and VC fund was also growing Uh, and if you remember earlier the only the Indian industry was completely overruled by the the overseas investors Only from 2014-15 onwards, we started seeing Indian money getting into VC space, to that extent. So I think the growth is happening, it's just that right now the the non-VC space has grown much faster because there were money more players, there were larger funds you could raise. I mean, you can't raise a billion dollar VC fund in India. I mean, it doesn't make sense. You can maybe raise a billion dollar private equity fund, but PE or growth stage is not the most uh, popular stage in India as of now everybody wants to be in the early stage so i think the vc industry will also catch up once the global funds start raising money in india after registering their funds in india so that will also grow to that extent but i think uh, the the majority is that as long as it is kept separately for special class of investors with good minimums and all the stuff i think this industry will have allocations from everybody going forward But yes, uh, the debt industry will go separately because there are different types of debt. There is venture debt, structured debt, you know, uh, revenue-based financing, all those kind of newer structures are also now coming around in that space. So I think that will also grow and obviously VC will grow uh, naturally. You can't compare just because it's a smaller thing right now. It may become bigger going forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. Could you also talk a little bit about the PMS industry as well, uh, Muneesh, because… Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. See, the uh, so if you look at history, um, I think I shared I think in one of our conversations. So, you know, from the late 90s onwards, early late 90s, when these private sector mutual funds came in, uh, everybody was selling mutual funds. Mutual funds were supposed to be very risky, you know, compared to maybe Unit Trust of India and all those kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think that that whole uh, time everybody was promoting mutual funds because obviously, you know, wealth managers, distributors, Uh, you know got a very fancy commissions and all that stuff now at that point of time and especially after uh, you know the crash of the it crash dot com crash and all that kind of stuff people started looking for more customized portfolios so pms originated as customizable portfolios for maybe higher end investors it started from there that was the intent the reason i'm saying that is because that may no longer be the case uh, it has to be customized and all this kind of stuff right, so right. it started from there that you know yeah. you, the higher end customers ultra high net worth high net worth should have specialized managers looking at customizing their portfolio etc etc it started from there yeah but what happened is that once the mutual fund industry margins collapsed there was no entry load there yeah. was no exit you know those kind of commissions upfront commissions got banned etc etc yeah. et yeah. So many of these banks started also now concentrating into newer product spaces, PMS, because you had the leeway of structuring a lot of, uh, you know, structuring leeway in the product. So you could actually have a, to a certain extent some set of fee, you could charge a high management fee, you could charge, a, you know, there they were chances of doing a lock-in kind of stuff as well with some exit loads and you know, exit kind of uh, hurdles coming in. So going from the mutual, and you could also have upfront, upfronted commissions in that space. So the industry got a boost when distributors started shifting to PMS because that was supposed to be the new product on the on the market. As as usual, you know, investors love new products, you know, they just they get bored with the older ones. (laughs) I think that was the push towards the industry from the distribution side. Earlier, it was more to do with customized portfolios. Then it came to the, you know, the the leeway in structuring and maybe higher commissions that you could get paid and that started off the whole industry. And yeah. now, the way we have reached, and this is very, very important, Satya, is that yeah. we still have two sets of PMS classes. One, classes in the sense, two sets of PMS managers. Yeah. One, who basically run model portfolios. So, they're almost akin to mutual funds. For example, they anytime any new investor comes in, they will invest in the exact same portfolio. So, right. they have become more of large, uh, almost like model portfolio, mutual fund type of investors, uh, which have happened. And the other... Yeah. The original need of the PMS, which was customized portfolio, are set of people where one, if investor comes in January and investor comes in July, they may have different portfolios in the same scheme. Yeah. Because they are customizing to the times, the markets, you know, the way the markets are moving, risk and everything else.
0: Yeah. So
1: I think, so now PMS is also now two industries. It's not just one. So model-based and uh, also customized uh, depending on when you enter. Brilliant. Correct. So that's, I think, something which uh, which which is very important and this industry will grow But what we've seen, uh, Satya, is that in the large cap space, you know, you know, 80-90% managers not being able to beat the benchmark. So people have moved into passives and I think we've had discussions around it. And you've seen the growth in the passives industry uh, in the last, you know, couple of years. And I think NSC just launched, I don't know how many indices have they launched now. They are yeah. doing some world records in the indices. I
0: know, I know. Every every monthly once, they would be a new... Correct,
1: there is something. Yeah. So, I think the large cap space will get completely taken over by special passive funds or passive indices or strategic passive indices of sorts. Yeah. In the mid-cap is where the PMS will actually, we believe, do really well. Because okay. in the mid-cap space, you have to be bottom-up. So you have to be, con- you know, very high conviction stocks, you will have to buy only 15-20 of them. So I think that's the space we believe is a very good sign for the PMS industry going forward. Either cap agnostic or uh, or mid cap oriented kind of PMS managers which are completely bottom up. Sure. So I think that's an industry which we think will grow as ultra high networks allocate more money towards mid cap space.
0: Sure. But I'm just uh, saying this, there's a category average of PMS multi um, multi, Cap. Uh, yeah, sorry, uh, multi-cap uh, funds and as well as flexi-cap funds of mutual for, mutual fund industry. Right. What we have noticed right. is uh, on the rolling return basis and even on the time-to-time, uh, you know, point-to-point basis, mutual funds have performed better than uh, category yeah. average of the PMS. Understand yeah. that, uh, you know, selection of the fund manager is very crucial here. Correct. Uh, right. Could you could you share your views uh, on yeah. this point? Do you think uh, ultra-high net worth individuals uh, or you know, HNIs are better off investing in PMS compared to uh, FlexiCap funds or any other funds in the mutual fund space?
1: No, no, absolutely. That, this is this a very, very important question on that part. The inherent strength of PMS, if it doesn't give you an outperformance from the retail uh, mutual fund product, of Evening. the similar nature. It doesn't yeah. make sense to be in PMS. Because yeah. obviously, needless to say, mutual funds are more transparent, more open. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's publicly available, high liquidity, low cost. And now we have the direct options. So it's much, much beneficial to be in the mutual fund space, even for ultra high networks. Yeah. It is just that uh, there was a bit of a taboo, uh, you know, some some years back with, with you know, ultra high networks that they should look down upon mutual funds. That as if it's a retail product. Yeah, Ultimately, nice. for a portfolio, yeah. whatever is the product category which is conducive and does well, should be part of the portfolio. doesn't matter if it's simple, not very complex and not very glamorous. I think that's absolutely. what we, we've been proponing absolutely. for the past many years. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Today, yeah. we are doing passes. People call us boring, but then you know, in large cash space, there's nothing else to do. Now,
0: yeah.
1: in the PMS space, yes, you are absolutely right. Averages are you know misleading. Uh, the inherent strength of um, now I'm saying advisors, but I'm saying any anybody in the wealth management industry, they have to first look at PMS managers in the category who have at least beaten the mutual fund managers to be even part of any of our filtration lists. Mm. Because if the right. same kind of returns are generated on a risk return basis by the mutual fund, I would right. any day prefer a mutual fund, any day. Right. Because right. it gives me a lot of leeway. Right. So as, as and this is not our process, but even globally, they are called managed accounts globally, PMS schemes. Managed account managers of a certain category, the first thing advisors look for is, have they been able to beat the more simpler, transparent mutual funds, uh, invest uh, products in that particular space and not just for one year, two years, on a regular basis. That basically says that when I shift from a uh, FlexiCap mutual fund to maybe a cap agnostic PMS, the cap agnostic PMS manager because he's more bottom up he's got high conviction bets and you know he's a fully dedicated manager looking at one particular scheme and scheme is also not that large that he cannot manage it he needs to have alpha not only to the index but also to the mutual fund averages of the same category that's the first check uh, that we do and what happened, you are right
0: what uh, Munish uh, in, in your experience because you look at this data day in and day yes. out um,
1: so, so in uh, yeah so you, you in the large cap space, frankly, as the saying goes, even mutual funds don't beat the index. And many PMSs don't even beat the index and sometimes don't even beat the mutual funds in the large cap space. Because high conviction is a double-edged sword in PMS, uh, Satya. So if you look at the index performance for the last one year, if you had, if you didn't invest in three of the stocks from one big house, you know which house I'm talking about, uh, where stocks have gone up by 200-300%, I mean right. Adani stocks for that matter, if you are not invested in those, you mm-hmm. would not be even close to the benchmark return mm-hmm. at that point of time. Mm-hmm. So, in a high conviction PMS stuff, if you miss out a few stocks, your underperformance can be very sharp compared mm-hmm. to a mutual fund, which is more diversified in nature to that extent. So, mm-hmm. I think in the large cap space, uh, as I said, passives are the only way, uh, which, which at least you can have a low, bre- low blood pressure affecting investment opportunities mm-hmm. because you're not bu- you know you're not you know you're not bullying on the on the performance of the uh, manager. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are only a couple of, uh, you know, managers in the large cap space, PMS space who have been able to beat the mutual funds, but very few of them. Mm -hmm. And they will beat the mutual funds over a longer period of time. I'm talking about five years, six years, not every year, year Mm -hmm. on year. Hence, uh, in the large cap space, we don't use PMS managers to that extent. In the mid cap space, yes, they have been beating the benchmark and they have been beating the mutual funds as well. Because... Mm -hmm. Good PMS managers in the mid or the cap agnostic space, Satya, they, because they're bottom-up completely, they are more company-oriented, they are micro-investors, uh, they don't look at sectors and economy, they look at the underlying companies they're investing into. If they have high conviction and they have a good process in place, they absolutely beat the index by a mile and they also ended up beating uh, you know mutual funds because… Uh, mid-cap mutual funds, obviously, they are too diversified for taking any mid-cap. Item. You can have anywhere between 40 to 80 stocks in a mid-cap uh, mutual fund. Uh, because, you know, and how many mid-cap stocks are there? 150, as designated by SEBI. should sure. you buying one-third one, or half of the portfolio doesn't make sense. Yes. In the cap agnostic space, again, mutual funds will be very diversified.
0: Right. They'll
1: be between 30 to 50, 60 stocks. Yes. So, they will be, their sign curve on risk may be shallower or narrower. But ultimately, they are they are also beating the index. But I think the alpha for PMS in our view has been much much better. Uh, no, on the whole, okay. uh, when we assess a PMS scheme, the yeah. first hurdle that he has to pass obviously is have they beaten the mutual funds of the same category or not on a on a long term basis. I yeah. I don't mean quarter on quarter, but maybe on a calendar year and over a period of three, four, five, six, seven years. That yeah. becomes the basics uh, basic of that. Varna, it doesn't make sense to be in a PMS plan at all. It's too much of a hassle. There is taxation hassle. You know, trading is happening in your DMAT account. So, if it's excessive trading, the IT people can also haul you up, and all this kind of stuff happens. So, I think that's the way we look at it. In that, in the what PMS is the space.
0: average uh, alpha that you could uh, that you observed in the last few years? Uh, See, in
1: the cap-agnostic space, anywhere between three percent to seven eight percent that we have seen. Uh, cap-agnostic, not large. This, is, this is after fees and after taxes. Everything after everything net, net, yeah. not taxes. Taxation okay. is almost the same because long term yeah. capital gains, so sure. there's no difference. Yeah. The yeah. only thing is, this is cap agnostic ones. These are not large cap ones. The cap agnostic mm-hmm. PMSs. And yeah. also, I think, uh, and these are mid cap heavy to that extent. Sure. So it's sure. not like an even split among all three
0: understand so there is a uh, you know point here to actually go into pms but uh, as you said not the large cap uh, but the mid cap and the or the
1: cap agnostic cap
0: agnostic funds which are actually um, tilted towards mid and small cap stocks
1: yeah and also small less but more of mid, mid also see yeah. it also depends upon your spread of research because problem mm. is that you know in india 25 30 or 40 pms names are well known well known might be 10 15 people may yeah. know of 20 30 yeah. We have reviewed 200 of them and I'm sure yeah. there are 80, 90, 100 more yeah. which are managers, which may not be that large or may not have large sales teams as well. Sure. So it becomes the job of an advisor to seek out those managers. We have to scourge around the SEBI website for their reportings, and they really then connect and then find out and then create our models. And sure. one thing which we look for, I think, which may be useful for you is, uh, you know, is the attribution of returns of PMSS Satya. So, in case a PMS has given you that alpha of four, five, six percent, where has it come from? Because if it just comes from one or two stocks every year, that means it's a very high risk proposition for us. Because only a one stock works for this PMS guy. But if you are seeing attribution of alpha coming from every year from five to six, seven, eight stocks is well spread out. That means it's a good stock picker generally. That so is. it also enhances our way look, we look at the market and we you know build our filter list as well.
0: Sure. Uh, could you talk about the A space as well?
1: So, the reason Alternates got pulled into portfolios decades ago in the US market is because it was supposed to be uncorrelated asset classes.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: you wanted uncorrelated asset classes in your portfolio. That was the intent.
0: Mm-hmm. Intent
1: was not only returns, but it was the uncorrelation with the main asset classes. Yeah. So, that was the premise. Right. After that, we realized that when you enter the higher risk, unlisted space, you can make a, a you know bigger alpha uh, compared yeah. to the listed markets. Hence, you are expecting a higher return with some higher risk in your portfolio. And the unlisted space particularly or hedge funds to that matter or maybe, uh, you know, structured debt funds to a certain extent, I mean, these are uncorrelated asset classes to a major extent. They don't go up and down depending on interest rates. They don't go up and down depending upon the listed equity markets because a VC, VC valuation doesn't get affected by Sensex to that extent. Right. Or a structured yeah. debt credit market doesn't get affected by real uh, your interest rate movements in the markets. Right. They are not that elastic in that. If everybody wants 14%, they will still expect 14% from a riskier uh, credit deal. So they were right. uncorrelated. They were giving you a higher yield for sure. So I yeah. think it was a no-brainer for people shifting into the venture capital space because you're getting into early stage, very high risk. You wanted higher premiums for that risk and, and the market has given you that kind of a premium. I think if you look at on the I'm talking about the unlisted equity. So if we look at the Kessel benchmark returns on VC funds and all, yeah. I think they have been beating uh, the benchmarks by a handsome margin. Yeah, forty
0: percent, fifty percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I know the time period is very less, and yeah. frankly, we have still haven't seen the full exit of an Indian VC fund. I'm yeah. talking about a full exit. We still have to see, but I think the the signs are they will end up beating with the kind of you know interest there being in there in the market and the kind of disruption happening. They will beat it in the AIF. Uh, to a certain extent, the debt space, uh, the category do structure, debt, and all this kind of stuff. I think that was a space where banks were not lending Satya. So obviously, naturally, private credit had to go to that space and hence the AI started getting larger and larger. So the structured debt space, you know, lending to SMEs, SMBs, uh, lending to distressed uh, distress companies as well, uh, those kind of lending structures started happening and AI gave a return which is higher. But obviously, you know, the post-tax returns made more sense to the investors. Many people lost focus of that. So, if if today you are make just to give you an idea, if today you can make 7% post-tax from a target maturity fund to go into an AIF, at least you are expecting a post-tax return or at least 200 to 400 basis point above this to give right. take that risk in your portfolio. Right. So, I think that way uh, you are getting, uh, you are generating alpha both in the debt and the equity space since some of these AIFs that are there. And they will continue to give you that alpha as long as you make sure that on a post-tax basis, you are actually making alpha or not. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, mutual funds and all are much tax friendlier. So you have to keep that eye on there. Thank the you. the other one on long-only equity, we actually don't prefer that. First of all, there is no A in long-only equity. There is no alternative about it. Yeah. They were actually packaged uh, when, you know, when people got, people portfolios got full up of uh, PMSs. And they started having a direct option in the PMS plan as well. You know, the fees started getting collapsing because of increased competition. So everybody started to create AIS because that that was again a new product to sell in the market. Yes, there was an inherent advantage. So the trading was not happening in the DMAT portfolio of the client. It was actually happening in the AIF's uh, pool capital. So the, the client's DMAT was not being transacted upon. So there was no taxation worry. Getting every year to file for all your stuff. So that was one advantage, but there was nothing alternative about it. So we are not very bullish about that part of the AIF industry. Long shots, which are more to do with, you know, uh, basically hedged type of a hedge fund to that extent, which are hedging you kind of giving you almost like a absolute return kind of a nature of investing. It's good. But the problem is that again on a post-tax basis, you know, it already kills the, kills the industry. Uh, to that part so it doesn't make that much of a sense and we have also seen in the long short space uh, Sathya's that you know when we do an attribution of the returns we find that some of these long short funds are very good at on the long side but on the short side they okay. have not been adding you know alpha to the portfolio whereas some people were very good at the short side and they did not have much of experience on the long side so we still have to see a very well rounded long short manager which makes money both sides of the uh, you know, the, the equation.
0: This is very interesting. <laughs> Maybe we could do a story about it. <laughs> that investors are looking for lower volatility. Um, yeah. As you said, uh, you know, no correlation to the public market. Um, yeah. So, how well, uh, I understand, yes, it it would provide ideally, but has it been uh, there in the PMS and AF space? Mm-hmm. Low volatility mm-hmm. um, and uh, lower risk.
1: So, I think PMS yeah. space... W- uh, can you can you give me? Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm just saying your observations, please, on that. Yeah.
1: Sure. So I think PMS was not built to give you a low wall kind of an approach to the market. The, it was geared to give you a maybe a much more customized or much more sometimes riskier portfolio with high conviction bets in the portfolio. That was the whole, uh, you know, the platform on what PMS got set up. We have not seen PMS managers giving you know lower standard deviation numbers, low volatility numbers, and still beating the market that usually doesn't happen but frankly i think none of our clients or none of the clients would go to pms to lower their risk profile i doubt it to that extent so that is point number one as far as uh controlling the volatility is concerned in the listed equity space obviously you know that requires a very different handling uh just as a corollary to this many people say that you know i have invested into the aif in the private in equ- the vc space because you know i don't see volatility in my portfolio I mean, we have to tell them, look, you don't see volatility because it doesn't have a nav. It doesn't have daily pricing. It doesn't have quarterly pricing as well. These underlying companies may get priced whenever the next round happens or sometimes don't get priced for a while. It is only synthetic pricing somebody might do, you know, kind of dirty pricing. So you don't see that volatility because there is no uh, market make uh, market uh, benchmarking or market performance numbers which come in every year. But it doesn't mean they're slow volatile. It can be very highly volatile because you can go from a very good performing company to complete write-off in a matter of days, to that matter. So I think that's a a kind of a notion people had that VC funds, you know, because you don't see the volatility, they are stable. They are not stable at all. People don't even know what goes on inside the companies, the investing companies, what happens, how the companies are going up and down on their performance. But if you look at the broader market in general, uh, on the AI side, the long shots were meant for that, that, you know, can you give us some returns which are maybe income, uh, you know, uh, fixed income plus kind of returns with maybe lower volatility as compared to the equity markets, attempt to capture the upside of the equity markets, but with a lower wall kind of strategies. I think those strategies were played in the long shot and, you know, using various strategies, multi-factor strategies and all this kind of stuff, I think Jury is still out. it's too younger market, you know, for that space. But PMS is not the space people go to for having a lower risk holdings in their portfolio or controlling the volatility in their portfolio
0: fair enough fair enough Uh, Shir Manish. that's all for now in this episode listeners if you have any queries or suggestions you can reach out to me on twitter my handle is at satya suntanam s-a-t-y-a s-o-n t-a-n-a-m or you can also write to us at mintmoney at livemint.com bye bye